Just shout hallelujah. Lift up your right hand and say, Lord, as I am a product of the world, the world is my habitat. I don't struggle to do the world. I don't struggle to eat the world. I don't struggle to walk the world. Say today, as I hear the world, I receive wisdom. I receive understanding. I receive revelation to do greater exploits. Would you please shout amen? amen. Hallelujah. Help me talk to your neighbor say the ball. Say every day, in every way, I'm getting better. I am breaking faults. I am breaking limits. I am moving up the ladder. Up, up I go. In the name of Jesus. This season is my season. God has a package for me and my family. I will receive it to the glory of God, to the shame of the devil. Let me just shout amen. Give your neighbor a high five. Say, Welcome to church. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm uh, particularly happy to see you. I celebrate you for being here. Hallelujah. Come on, give God a hand of praise for bringing you here. And I sincerely believe that if God brought you here, he will bring more. God that brought you here will bring the orders. As I speak, some of our members are somewhere else. They are just around. Praise the Lord. But they are made for here. And God is bringing them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Like you heard in the announcement, today is our first Sunday. And it's our custom to have a communion. Praise the Lord. Communion service. Amen? It is our custom for so many reasons. Um, this morning, before I announce my topic, I want to take a little time to take us into the, the genesis of the blood. I want to open you up to why the blood of Jesus is very important. I want to give you the understanding of how God himself introduced mankind to the significance of the blood. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, there is difference between principle and practice. There is difference between what? Principle and practice. And this is what most people or most Christians or pastors do not understand. And that's why they mix up things. There are things God said, there are things God did, especially in the book of Genesis. So if you don't open your eye, if you don't have the understanding, you won't be able to differentiate between the one that is a practice, the one that is a principle. And our principles are fundamentals. They don't change. 
principles are what? Fundamentals. They don't change. But practice change. God can change his practice. But God does not change his principle. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So in the book of Genesis, God began to introduce the principle of the blood sacrifice. People do not understand that till tomorrow, the principle of the blood sacrifice is significant and of paramount importance in the heart of God. And that was why it culminated in the shedding of the blood of His only begotten Son. Praise the Lord. So this morning I'm going to talk about the blood principle. Let me say that, the blood principle. Uh, are we in the church? Yeah. Are you hearing me? Yeah. I said, hear me. Tell me, say the blood principle. Leviticus. Leviticus 17 verse 11. Please, someone come up with this sound for me. If you're stopping me. Leviticus 17 verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. For the life of the flesh is in what? The blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, God was saying here that the blood is the life of man. And therefore, it is of high significance since there is nothing more of value to man than the blood. That life is precious. God announced the principle of the significance of the blood right from the book of Genesis. Even to the Old Testament. He kept saying it, he kept introducing it, and he made sure it spoke in every area that he, he worked out. God established the principle because principles never change. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 to 5, God began to introduce 
what the blood was meant to do in later days. In Genesis chapter 4, let's read. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and all came and said, I have acquired a man. From the Lord. Then she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruits of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their sons. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, what? With that said, there, so many people have preached that, that, that God respected the uh, uh, Abel rejected Abel's offering because it was not uh, given by faith, and that was not true. Praise the Lord. And if you, like, if you look at the scripture closely, you'll discover that God did not even ask them to bring the offering. So they, it was out of their own volition to give the offering. Praise the Lord. And the Bible specifically mentioned that he gave the first of his product from the fruits. He's a tiller on the ground. And he gave the first fruits. And Abel also gave the first fruits. But Abel deals with animals. Praise the Lord. So he gave the first fruits of the animals and their farms. Praise the Lord. But God rejected the offering of Abel. I mean, sorry, of Cain. And respected that of Abel. Praise the Lord. Now, the word offering, which is meha in the Greek language, when translated means, first of all, means gift. Praise the Lord. So each time you give offering, you are giving a gift. Then secondly, the word offering, translated from the Greek language, also means tribute. So when you give offering, you are paying a tribute. You know, if you are a king, you are entitled to tribute. You do not beg for tribute. It is the responsibility of the subjects to pay tribute to the king. Now, if Jesus is the king of kings and when we pay our offering, we are paying tribute to him. I praise the Lord. Then number three, number three meaning of offering is sacrifice. Sacrifice is something you surrender. Sacrifice, sacrifice is something that is meaningful, valuable, of high significance to you. Praise the Lord. When, before you call something sacrifice, something that has touched you, something that is taking something from you, 
something that is of high value. The choir is on their own. They're making noise there. They're not listening to the world. Praise the Lord. Sacrifice is something that you surrender. If it is something that you surrender, then it is something that has taken something from you that is painful. Therefore, it is the highest part of offering. Praise the Lord. So when God rejected Abraham's offering, it's perhaps the offering of Cain could be defined as just a mere gift. And you can give a gift that costs you nothing. You can pay a tribute that costs you nothing. A tribute is like a tax to the state or to whatever. If your tax is 500 naira and you are a millionaire, 500 naira is nothing to you. Praise the Lord. So, it tends offering fell in the level of a gift or a tribute. But why? Why did they press offering and fall into the level of the sacrifice, which is the highest level of giving? Because the Bible said the, 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 the life of a thing is in the blood, and that the blood is the essence of a man. That the highest thing any man can ever give you on earth is the blood. So, the blood is very, very important. And God was introducing the significance of the blood. Because the blood is still going to be worthy to be used to save my kind. God accepted a best offering based on that because it was a sacrifice. Praise the Lord. And this shows that God also looks forward to our best. But anytime we want to give to God, we should ensure that it's our best. God is not one that will just take anything. Even when you are giving a gift, as long if the gift is something, well, you may say, okay. But God expects the best from us at all times. And the best sacrifice that God recognizes is the blood. That's why every time God goes to, incorp- goes to covenant with his people, the blood must be involved because this is the highest level of offering. Genesis chapter 8, 
verse 20 to 22. The Bible says that no abuse of water to the Lord and took off every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Praise the Lord. And then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth to his old age. But still, I will not again destroy every living thing as I have done to yesterday. Praise the Lord. In other words, God is saying, now, Noah offered the best of the animal left after the flood. After the flood, everything was gone. The only thing that was left was those little animals, the few animals that were, that, that were in the ark. And the Noah said, before we move on, even though I don't know where the other animals are going to come from, even though I don't know what tomorrow is going to be, God first, and he gave God the best of the animals. And the Bible says, God perceived a very soothing aroma. Praise the Lord. Meaning he accepted the offering. The offering was on the highest level. That is sacrifice. Praise the Lord. Now, God accepted this. What God was us introducing, was still mentioning, was still, was still emphasizing the sacrifice of the blood. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And he said, look, even though I know men hearts even though I know that men are wicked. Even though I know that even after today, tomorrow, they will show their wickedness. But because of what Noah has done today, because of this sacrifice, even though they are going to be bad tomorrow, I will not kill them again. Even though tomorrow I know they will go wrong, I will not do this again. I will not sweep the world with flood again. That promise that covers evil though God knows that I'm going to be offenders and that are offenders, the promise he made to cover them is on the altar of the sacrifice of the blood. God was emphasizing what was to come was introducing the principle of the blood sacrifice that is above all that we cover humanity to come. 
and blood. Jesus shed the blood. And that blood has covered the entire world, redeemed us. Now, the Abel carcass, you see, he puts the Abel sacrifice side by side with the, the shedding of the blood of Jesus. God said, because of Abel's, I mean, Noah's sacrifice, I will not do anything to harm the world again. In Hebrew chapter 10 and chapter 8 verse 12, he said, I will not. I will have mercy upon them on their ungodliness. I will not see their evil again. Because of this high level of blood sacrifice. He said, God said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawlessness. I will remember no more. This is the same thing that God is saying here in Hebrew 8 that he said in Genesis. When he was counting about the Noah. So you see that the principle continues. I praise the Lord. So when I hear men of God or such, such the teachers of the world, and I tell you that the blood of Jesus is it was the old Testament. They don't know what they are doing. They don't understand Bible. They don't know the difference between principle and practice. But now some pastor will tell you oh, the blood of Jesus. No, no more. It has been shared. It's, it's, no, it's, it's not. When anywhere you go and you see a man of God disdain or discountenance the blood, you know that man of God is evil. Because God does not joke with the blood. The spirit of Antichrist are already here operating through men of God. And one of the one, one of the ways of knowing them, and the one that speaks against the blood is evil. Is from the pit of hell. No matter what name is bearing, no matter the ministry is carrying, anyone that is saying the blood is not a child of God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Say, also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. When Adam and his wife committed sin, They decided to clothe themselves with the leaves of the tree. They decided to run away as if they could run away from God. And when God asked, Where are you? God was not asking. As though he does not know where they are. Or some people preach that want to say God was asking where they are. It's not about location. That question is not about location. That question is about this is relative to their position 
with God. Have you left the place with me? Are you now out of our relationship? That's the question God was asking. Are you still with me? Where are you? That's a topic for another day. But when God was asking, God knew what had transpired. And God displayed his mercy once again. Even though they committed sin, even though they even went harder, God this was to try to hide it from God. God discovered they could not cover themselves. The principle of that when you commit sin to die, play the game. Though they didn't die, but something died. God killed an animal and clothed them. An innocent animal. That is a replication, a typology of Jesus. Jesus had no sin, but he died for our sin. So God killed the animal and used his skin to cover Adam and his wife. The blood sacrifice playing the highest level of forgiveness of sin. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Maria, Maria rather, and offer him, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. Praise the Lord. And here, we know how um, tough and rough it was for Abraham to get Isaac. We know at what age he got Isaac. We know at the time Abraham was not too pleased with God and there was not that sure that God was going to keep his commandment, his promise. And when what God did was to demand something from Abraham. They bring that, bring that other door, bring the shape, then we come from this other and cut them into two, side by side. Praise the Lord. And then he walks 
by the center. In those days, when they want to make a promise to their king in the tradition, that is his tradition. You cut, you cut animal into two, and then walk through the center, and then make the promise to the king that if you fail, that is how your body will be cut into two. But this time around, God, because of his, because of the, the, the intensity to make Abraham know that when he is fixed, he keeps it. And he cannot, there was nobody now for him to, to, to make that promise to. So when, they, when Abraham has done that, he walked through this, then by fire, and then swore to himself that if I do not keep this promise of giving you Isaac, then I'm no longer God. He did that after Abraham made a sacrifice of the blood, cut the animals to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Not before then. It means that when there are things that you will ask of God, and God will require specific something from you. There are things we ask God that will require us to pay something specific. God will demand something specific from you. So take your attention into the deal. Because Abraham was beginning to doubt. You said it, where is it? And God said, okay, if you want to know, if you want to meet, if you want to prove that what I said must come to pass, bring those animals, cut them into two, and then we have a deal. And when he did, when Abraham did his part, God said, if this thing, he swore to himself that if this thing does not come to pass, then I will no longer be God. Praise the Lord. A year went by. Two years went, 75, 76, 80, 90. And now, I'll be 99. And God showed up. Praise the Lord. And he said, Abraham, by this time next year, the child will come. I have not forgotten that covenant. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because so the principle that God does not break his covenant. And his covenant that is sealed by the blood. And I'm so excited. You tell me remember that in this assembly we have covenant with God. The covenant of longevity. The covenant of protection. And it is sealed by the blood. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, but if God has promised you, he will keep it. If God has said a word to you, hold it. If God has visited you in the dream and said, please hold it. See, God does not fail. God has never failed. And he will not begin to fail in your case. Somebody say amen. If he said it, 
who will bring it to pass. Cast your mind to what God has said. And I'll show you this morning, they are coming to pass. I said they are coming to pass. In the name of Jesus. And in the process of Abraham, people wonder how, why Abraham could have that faith to offer Isaac. He developed that faith from what God did when God swore to himself. At the time when Abraham was losing hope and God swore to himself and said he must come your way. And when Isaac eventually came, Abraham had a solid faith in what God says. Praise the Lord. And so when he said he should offer Isaac, Abraham remembered that incident where he said that he will give him a son that will be the seed. The meaning that even if you offer, he knew that even if you offer Isaac now, Isaac will still be there. Because God will not fail. That was the driving force behind Abraham's action. But it was a test. God pulled an ace. Praise the Lord. A lamp came from God. The replacement of Isaac. Praise the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I as sinners, we are meant to suffer the wrath of God. But God brought Jesus to take our place. He died in our place. Again, God was introducing the blood principle as the only thing for the forgiveness of sin of mankind. The lamp came. And in John chapter 1, verse 29, John said, Behold the lamp of God has come to take the sins of the world away. That lamp was the lamp that appeared on Mount Moriah. It's Jesus. Somebody say it's Jesus. Somebody say it's Jesus. He never committed sin. God was introducing, beginning to tell us, look, there is something that will happen. And it's going to come by the shedding of the blood. The blood principle and significance. Praise the Lord. Now let me tell you something. Maria sacrifice has trappings that I want to let you know. After God demonstrated the type of Jesus, um, the, the, uh, the, the years demonstrated that as the shed blood that was to come on Mount Moriah in 2 Samuel chapter 24 verse 1 2 Samuel 
chapter 34, 7, I want you to listen very well. I'm taking you to somewhere on Mount Moria. In 2 Samuel, chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Again, the anger of God was aroused against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, what happened was that at the time, David, the king of Israel, just got up and called his Abinah, the chief army officer, and said, Go and knock the, 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 the foot soldiers of Israel. And that angered God. God felt that, okay, so this man is building his strength on the foot soldier. So you want to assess the strength of my people, of Israel, based on your soldier and not me? Praise the Lord. God always wants us to have total dependence on him. And that's why grace came. God wants us to always have total dependence on him and him alone. So when David deviated, God got annoyed and sent one of his prophets to David. Come with me to 1 Samuel 24 verse 12. 24 verse 12. Oh, shit. Verse 12 says, Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Praise the Lord. God sent in verse God sent his angel to David trying to find the the scripture the exact scripture. I don't want to read too many scriptures. So, but God sent his angel to David and says, I offer you three things. Choose. Choose which one you will take. God decided to punish David with three things. He said, first, I will ask people, I will ask your enemy to command you. Or, I will, I will allow a plague to sweep through
through you. Then thirdly, I will personally deal with you. God requested David to choose among these three things. Praise the Lord. Choose your enemies to defeat you. Choose a plague to kill. Or choose that I personally discipline you. Praise the Lord. For the mistake he made. And then David said David was wise. He calculated that well. No. People are wicked. If they allow men, if they say, okay, let man to come, they are, they are very wicked. They will finish us. They will not have mercy. No. And then, you know, if he allows plague, ah, a plague, he may not be able to control it. Say, but I know that God is merciful. Say, God, deal with us yourself. Eh? Okay, yes, okay. So, second Samuel. Let's read it. Huh? Second Samuel 10, 24. Huh? Second Samuel. Okay, uh, we wrote first Samuel. Second Samuel 24. 10. Let's read it so that you know what I'm saying. That I'm not just talking. Praise the Lord. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And now when David arose in the morning, and the Lord of, and the word of, the, of, of the Lord came to the prophet God, God saying, Go and tell David. God says to the Lord, I offer you three things to choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. Number one, so God came to God came to David and told David and said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days fled in your land? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And now David decided to choose the, the one, the three days that God will flood the land. Hallelujah. I'm going somewhere. Don't forget we are talking about the blood principle. Now, the angel of the Lord started the first day and began to kill the people was killing the people moving and killing the people moving and killing the people like the, the, the casualty was so high and David was trying to David was even saying why don't you just take his own life and leave the people 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He didn't take his own life because God was introducing the principle of the sinless taking the place of the sin. Praise the Lord. Now, something happened. Something happened. As the angel was killing, and the angel got a spot called, called Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah Mount is a place where Isaac was offered. And because the blood speaks, because the blood had offered on that spot, and the blood represents the cleansing of sin and forgiveness. So when the angel got to that spot, a voice came from heaven. David could not pray. Nobody prayed for it. But voice came from heaven and spoke to the angel and said, enough is enough. Why? Because the angel was on the spot where blood had been sacrificed. And blood, one sacrifice will not be sacrificed again. There shall be no shedding of blood again. Jesus is coming to share the blood, and when he shed the blood, there will be no more shedding of the blood. They did not pray. And if this forgiveness of sin is not what you qualify for, they didn't pray for it. It is God's own will to forgive man, to restore man, to redeem man, to revive man. To renew man. On that spot, the angel could not kill again. I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning. I prophesy to somebody. That thing you have suffered will not surface again. The Bible says there shall be no affliction. It will not come the second time. If you have ever suffered hunger, you will not suffer hunger again. If you have ever suffered shame, there shall be no shame again. In the name of Jesus, you are lifted. The blood spoke. The blood that Jesus shed is still speaking. When the enemies gather against you, the blood will speak. I declare in the morning the blood will speak in your favor. In the afternoon, the blood will speak in your favor. In the night, the blood will speak in your favor. In the spiritual realm, the blood will speak in your favor. If somebody believes, shout amen. As you amaze you, when David got the revelation. That there is something on that land. He went in search of the owner. And he got a man, Arauna. 
Praise the Lord. I went to the man and said, you are the owner of that land. He said, yes. He said, I want to buy it. And that one said, what? A king? Take it. You are the king. I can't sell it to you. David said, thank you. But I cannot give God what will cost me nothing. Hallelujah. But most of you want cheap. If we put in order to sell. David said, I don't want to do give God an offering that will cost me nothing. He paid for it. He paid for it. That is the place that the temple of Solomon was built. It is the place of the shed blood. Praise the Lord. Let me run off with this one. Hallelujah. Luke 22, verse 19 to 20. Luke 22. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 20. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Praise the Lord. So, the blood covenant. Is shed for you, not that you qualify for it, not that you have done anything to deserve it, but that God wants to bless you. Praise the Lord. It is the altar of the shed blood that today we enjoy grace. Grace is the blessing you get that you are not qualified for. When people try to say, okay, I want to work my way, but God has done this, let me add my own. It is abomination. Grace is pure gift from God. You do not qualify for it. All the same, you receive it. It is given to you. That is grace. Praise the Lord. But God's mercy comes before grace. God's mercy says you have committed an offense and the punishment is this and that. But because of mercy, I will not give you the punishment. Praise the Lord. 
So mercy takes away the punishment you desire. But grace gives you the blessing you don't desire. Praise the Lord. So when Jesus was giving them his body, he was rearranging the question of the Last Supper in the Old Testament. It's a principle. He had already changed the practice. But the principle remains. It's no longer the Last Supper, but it's now communion. Now, the Last Supper used to be four items. That contains the juice, the bread, the bitter herb, and the roasted meat. Now, they were using the, the, the Last Supper in those days to remind themselves of what they suffered in Egypt. The bitter herb reminds them of their suffering. And the roasted meat represents the human flesh, the effort of a man to survive in Egypt. Praise the Lord. So when Jesus was about to go to, to complete the assignment on the cross, he initiated and instituted the new covenant of the communion. Now he removed the flesh, the roasted meat. That because you no longer how to depend on your efforts. You no longer how to depend on man to succeed. You know, this day is the bread he was eating. He said, I use the bread to replace the meat. I said, This is my body. Say, Don't forget, Jesus said, All ye that are labor and heavenly laden, come, I will give you rest. He was not talking about rest of physical labor, he was talking about rest of grace that he was introducing to my people. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then he gave them the cup. And he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So when you give your life to Christ, or when you receive Christ into your life, you are automatically a covenant child of God. His blood covers you, His blood speaks for you, His blood cleanses you. His blood covers you and fight for you and qualify you and justify you as the true son, a bona fide son of God, a partaker of his glory, a new creation. Somebody say amen. amen. So when you take the communion, when he said, take this in remembrance of me, he said, take this in remembrance of me, he would say, take this. And remember, I am the one. When the Bible says that Jesus died with grace and truth, it means that he came with grace and himself. He is the truth. Praise the Lord. That is why Jesus is grace personified. So when you are discerning grace, you are discerning Jesus. Hallelujah. So the second name of Jesus is grace. He's all in all and giving himself to mankind for your own goodness. He shed the blood for you. He died for you. That you will not die again. 
he suffered hardship so that he don't suffer hardship again. Ah, he 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 suffered lack so that you live in abundance. Praise the Lord. He suffered pain so that you will live in comfort. That is Jesus. Jesus loves you and died for you. Till tomorrow, no matter what you do, no matter your offense, he said, I will not do anything against your ungodliness anymore. I don't even see it again. But who does he see? He says, Jesus. Somebody shout Jesus. Jesus. Somebody shout Jesus. Jesus. Something of it. of sins. Verse 38, and we are justified. Verse 39, justification is more than forgiveness. Praise the Lord. It is to be cleared of all blame and to be free from every charge. Praise the Lord. Justification is where you are cleared of all blame. Praise the Lord. And no charge is laid against you. That means in, in the Lord's term, it means you have been discharged and acquitted. But in this, in this um, passage we are reading, we didn't do anything to be justified. We, it is not by our works, it is not by our efforts, but because of the love of God. It is God that justifies. Praise the Lord. It is only God that justifies. And out of his love, he gave us only begotten son, so that we might be saved. Praise the Lord. And he who came took upon himself our sins. 
our sin of nature or our nature of sin. Praise the Lord. And exchanged it for our righteousness. He took sin upon himself and he gave us righteousness. Praise the Lord. So instead of us now being punished for our sin, he took it. He took that sin nature. And because he took it, we became saved. We were cleared of that. You know, when you do something, there is a punishment. Or when you commit a crime, there is a punishment for it. So instead of us now serving that punishment, Jesus Christ did it on our behalf. Praise the Lord. And he justified us by dying for our sin. He cleared us. We became cleared of every blame. We became cleared. We, be, we were cleansed from every blemish. And now we are justified. We are made right with God. Praise the Lord. I hope we understand now. So justification means when you are discharged and acquitted of every blame. But it is not by your own effort. Somebody did it in your place. Praise the Lord. So our topic for today is what are the results of justification? That is why I needed us to understand what justification is so that we'll be able to understand what we are going to talk about this morning. What are the results of justification? I can say what are the outcome of justification? What um, do you get out of justification? Praise the Lord. What is the outcome of justification? What is the end of justification? I'm just trying to make you understand what that result stands for. Praise the Lord. So I just want us to quickly look at the um, Bible verse used for this passage this morning. Can we open our Bibles to Romans 5? Romans 5. Are we there? Romans 5. I'm going to quickly read through. I read verse 1. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Praise the Lord. For while we were still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For really will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, 
having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Praise the Lord. So that passage is talking about what we stand to gain when we are justified. So let's look at um, the book now. It says there are seven of the enumerated in the Romans. There are seven results of the, uh, of the ones enumerated. I'm just adding that one. In Romans 5, verse 1 through 11. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You will find that in verse 1. We were God's enemies. Verse 10. But at Calvary, our Lord Jesus Christ reconciled us to God. Romans 5, verse 10. And made peace. Praise the Lord. So the first one, the first result from justification is peace. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Sorry. When you look at um, Romans 5, verse 1, you will see there. It says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have been declared righteous. We are righteous. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. That is the first one. That is the first result. That is the first outcome of justification. That is the first thing we get out of justifi justification. And that is the truth. When you look at, it, at the old um, scenario, you will see when you come into Christ, there is peace. You have this peace because he has said that we should come unto him, all of us who labor. Apart from that, when you look at this um, passage very well, you get to understand that he's talking about the fact that there was a time we didn't understand who we are in Christ Jesus. There was a time um, we were out there like those people who still don't know Christ. But now we understand who we are. Now we are in the light. We ourselves are lights. Praise the Lord. So when you understand who you are, you know that you are free. Those things that was hanging on you, you know, when you meet some people, like I was talking to somebody some few weeks back, and he said, no, I understand. God has forgiven us our sins of the past, but not that now that we are committing sin, he has forgiven us. And I said, what he has? He said, no, 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 I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. So, when they are so conscious of the fact that they have not been forgiven for their sin, you know, there is a way they will behave. Like they are in bondage. Praise the Lord. And somebody that is in bondage cannot be free. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Somebody that is in bondage cannot be free. Somebody who does not understand what Jesus Christ has done for us cannot be free. They walk bowed down because they feel when they bow their head uh, they are walking in righteousness because of the sin they have committed no praise the lord i also made reference to what um some people do you know when they sin, they will say they are paying penance praise the lord and they start beating themselves some will pour coals on their head please can that one forgive their sins or what used to happen in those days when the priest goes in every year they bring something to atone for their sin praise the lord 
you know, it is temporal. It only works. Why they, why they keep on repeating it is because it is temporal. It is not long-lasting. But for us who understand who we are, we are free. And when you understand that you are free, you will have peace of mind. Praise the Lord. That is what I'm trying to explain. There is no way um, you understand, you are conscious, yes. You are conscious of who you are, that you will still be bowing to sickness. No. Because sickness is bondage. It does not allow you to express God. Praise the Lord. But the minute you understand who you are, you know that sickness bows to you. You will be free. Your heart will be full of joy. You want to express it. You want to let everybody know. Praise the Lord. So definitely you will have peace. Praise the Lord. So that is what we are told here. That when you are justified, the end result is peace. You have peace because you have been made free. Praise the Lord. So the first one is we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that made that peace free for us to enjoy. He is the one that made it easy for us to enjoy. He is the one that has opened the door for us to enjoy peace. Praise the Lord. So we, get, we go to the next one. It says, we have, we have gained access by faith into this grace for which we now stand. We'll see that in verse 2. We'll read it. This means that being justified, we have an entrance or a welcome into the presence of God. Praise the Lord. And that is said here, compare John verse 9 and Hebrew 10 verse 1 through 9. Praise the Lord. So he's saying here that when we have been justified, we have access. Jesus Christ has opened the door for us to come into the presence of God. Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ has given us that access to come before God. Jesus Christ has opened the way for us to gain access to God. Praise the Lord. Can we quickly read um, verse 2? It says, also through him, that is Jesus Christ, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Praise the Lord. By faith through Jesus, which means you must believe. Praise the Lord. You must believe. You must have faith in God. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Praise the Lord. So we get access through Christ Jesus. It is Jesus Christ who has made, who has opened the door for us. He says, I am the he says, nobody comes unto my father. Why? Because he is the way, he is the, he is the light, he is the door through which we can come unto God. Praise the Lord. So without him, we cannot, we cannot access God. Praise the Lord. I know I said something a few um, weeks back that when I was still at um, Barua, I was just after prayers, I was just meditating. And no, it was here when we were in the other um, church there. I was with mommy daddy and I slept and I woke up. And what I heard was that 
God sees us through the eyes of Jesus. Praise the Lord. So if he sees us through the eyes of Jesus, that means there is no blemish, no pain. No pain. We don't have any pain. We don't have any blemish. We don't have any sin. There is nothing condemning us. Praise the Lord. Because he sees us through the eyes of Jesus. That means we are clear. Praise the Lord. So we have gained access by faith into this grace for which we now stand. This means that being justified, we have an entrance or a welcome into the presence of God. We have the opportunity to come into the presence of God. There is nothing holding us back. There is nothing stopping us. We can even say nobody can accuse us of anything because we have been justified through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. So we have to understand that we can only gain access through Jesus Christ and by our faith. Praise the Lord. Now we go to the next one. It says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 2. The word hope does not imply uncertainty. It does not imply something that is not sure. It does not imply something that is not real. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It does not imply something that um, you cannot see. Let me put it like that. Because, you know, when you, when you look at it from this passage, it is referring to something that you can hold. Substance. Praise the Lord. Let, let's read it together. It says, it refers to the assurance which we have that God will consummate his purpose in the mind in the mind for all whom he justifies praise the lord there is an assurance that god will fulfill the purpose of every one of us who believes praise the lord and who has been justified praise the lord so there is there is something we are looking up to there is something we are believing there is something that we know is real that will bring to pass every promise, every purpose for which God has justified you and I. Praise the Lord. Let's quickly look at Colossians 3 verse 4. Please, if you're there, can you read? Colossians 3 verse 4. Colossians 3 verse 4. Are we there? I'm there. It says, when the Messiah, who is you, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Praise the Lord. When the Messiah, who is your life, your life, the Messiah is our life. Praise the Lord. That is why we can say we have eternal life because eternal life is in us. Praise the Lord. Eternal life is in us. So we have eternal life. You can declare it. That is the truth. So he says, when the Messiah who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Praise the Lord. So which 
you know, um, I think it's uh, Pastor Dan who said that we are divinity unveiled. We are God. And you know, when people look at us, they must see that God in us. We should not talk like man, man. We should not talk like somebody who is not sure of who, who he is or what he is. Praise the Lord. Because actually, we are gods. Praise the Lord. We are gods. So when we talk, people must see that glory in us. They must see the glory of God in us. Praise the Lord. I, I want us to look at um, Titus 3 verse 7. Titus 3 verse 7. Are we there? Are we there? I read. Titus 3 verse 7. It says, So that having been justified by his grace, I hope we still remember what grace is. Praise the Lord. Grace is undeserved favor. Praise the Lord. We didn't work for it. Praise the Lord. So he says, so, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Who is that hope? Who can tell? In this passage. What is the passage referring to here? He says, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Who can tell me? Praise the Lord. Who wants to help? If you read that passage, you will understand what I'm saying. Let me read again. He says, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Who is eternal life? Jesus. Praise the Lord. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is our hope here. Yeah. He says we may become heirs. Praise the Lord. I know we all remember this. So he says we are heirs of the Father. We are joint heirs with the Son. We are children of the Kingdom. We are family. the Lord. So that is why that he said here, he says the word does not imply a certainty. It is real. Praise the Lord. So the person we are referring to here is Jesus. The hope of glory. Praise the Lord. So he says, it refers to the assurance that we have that God will consummate his purpose in the mind for all whom he justifies. So for every one of us who have been justified here, he will fulfill that purpose. Praise the Lord. Our God is not man, man that he will say something and he will not bring it to pass. Whatever he says, he will bring it to pass. So all we need to do is to believe, have faith, and see those things as being done. Praise the Lord. And see those things as you already having it. Praise the Lord. So we go to 
the fourth one. It says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Verse 3, we'll find that one in verse 3. Four reasons are given in verse 4 and 5. This means that when trials and testing comes, we are able to say according to all the verses here. But when trials and um, challenges come, when testing comes, we are not supposed to be worried. We are not supposed to be agitated. We are supposed to glory in God. We are supposed to rejoice. We are supposed to be happy. Why? Because it is only for a short while. Praise the Lord. It is only for a short while. It does not last. Praise the Lord. We, we should understand what this passage is saying here because, you know, like I said the other time, some people, when they go through some challenges, they don't know how to handle it. Praise the Lord. But this scripture is giving us an easy way to handle such issues. Praise the Lord. We should rejoice. We should thank God. You know, the Bible says that in all things we should do what? Give thanks. Praise the Lord. So when tribulations come, when testings come, when sufferings come, don't start crying, don't start, you know, being agitated, running from one place to another. Ah, what am I going to do? No, you should rejoice in the Lord. You should even be thankful that you're going through it because the truth is, it is preparing you for another stage of upliftment. Praise the Lord. It is preparing you for another stage of upliftment. You leave there, you go higher. Praise the Lord. I want to give um, an example. Um, in um, 2014, when I had issues, oh, I cried. Every day I will cry from morning till night. That was the first time I know that somebody can cry from morning till night. I will cry from morning till night, morning till night. For a month, it was like that. Nobody could console me. But one day, I was in the room and I heard, jump up, remove your clothes, and start walking on the streets. Ha! I said, you lie. <laughs> I told that voice, I said, you lie. Praise the Lord. And what did I do? From that day onwards, I started praying. I started praying. And before then, I don't go to church. You know, when we have issues like that, but we will know how to run from one place to another. But go to church. Ah, we'll feel no church is not where I should go. But when I heard that voice that day, nobody told me before I ran to church. Praise the Lord. Nobody told me before I ran to God, not even church, to God. Praise the Lord, because I realize He is the only one that can help me. Human beings cannot help me. And funny enough, I, I guess God was just trying to prove something. Because that period was actually a trying period for me. My husband's family, they turned their backs on me. My husband's friends, they turned their backs on me. My own family turned their backs on me. Praise the Lord. So who do you turn to? God. And I thank God that I did that because some people will go into depression. At that period, I was in depression. They will go into depression and the next thing they will be thinking about is suicide. Praise the Lord. Why? Because they are weak to handle such situation. 
or they don't know how to handle such, such situation. So praise the Lord. We are told, we rejoice in our suffering. Rejoice, because in rejoicing, that problem is being solved. In rejoicing, you are going from that, you know, it's like you leave one level, you move to another level. Praise the Lord. But I tell you, as you rejoice, as you praise Him, as you magnify Him, God is solving that issue. He's taking over that problem. He's working it out. And then one day you just see somebody will call you from abroad and you say, hey, somebody is calling me. You forgot it that God is at work. Praise the Lord. So when we are faced with challenges, what do we do? We rejoice. Can we quickly read that passage? Um, Romans 5. Romans 5. Verse 3. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Praise the Lord. We understand what endurance is. Endurance makes you to be able to withstand issues. Praise the Lord. So when you're faced with afflictions, it makes you to be, to be able to endure. You begin to endure because you don't want it to, you don't want that thing to be destroyed. You want it to work out. Let me use marriages as an example. In those days, our parents, they endure marriage. Because they don't want it to, because of the children, they don't want the marriage to be um, destroyed. So they will endure. So endurance makes you to withstand. It makes you to be patient. Praise the Lord. It makes you to be patient. So when you go through afflictions, it produces endurance. And endurance produces proving character. It, pro it produces good character because at the end of the day, when you go through all these levels, you get to a point you realize that, mm, I think if I turn to God and help and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, you know, it can help me. It, it will help me to know how to behave, how to talk, what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to dress, how I'm supposed to relate with elders, or how I'm supposed to relate with my mates and all that. Praise the Lord. So it produces probing character, character that is already probing, to be good. And proving character produces hope. We come back to hope. Praise the Lord. We come back to hope. Praise the Lord. So when you go through all these processes, it now says in five, this hope does not disappoint. This thing that you are looking up to, this thing that you are believing in, what you are believing in cannot disappoint you. It will not fail you. It says, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we cannot be disappointed. Praise the Lord. I want us to also quickly look at, Daddy mentioned some verses here. Let's quickly look at it. It says, um, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. Can we quickly look at it? 2 Corinthians, verse 4. 2 Corinthians verse 4, 17. Are we there? 
there. I read. It says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Praise the Lord. Do you see that? It says, for our light affliction, sorry, for our momentary, momentary means something that does not stay long. It just comes and goes. Something like that. Light affliction. That affliction is not something that is weighty, that will weigh you down. Praise the Lord. He says it's producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight. Praise the Lord. Eternal weight, eternal life. Praise the Lord. So it is producing something that you cannot compare with anything. You cannot compare it with that life affliction. You cannot compare it with the challenges. You cannot compare it with anything that you are going through because this one will give you peace. It will give you rest. It will give you eternal joy. Praise the Lord. It will give you eternal hope. Praise the Lord. Okay, um, Daddy also mentioned another one. Um, let's quickly look at, um, I'll just speak it. Second Corinthians 4, verse 8. I think it's the same passage. Second Corinthians, verse 4. Second Corinthians 4, verse 8, sorry. It says, we are pressured in every way, but not crushed. Hallelujah. We should say hallelujah to that. It says, we are pressured. We are, we are pressured in every way, from all sides, but not crushed. That means we are not coward. That means we are not put under. That means that thing has no power to, to crush us, to destroy us. Praise the Lord. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Praise the Lord. We are perplexed. We are, you know, when you are at a crossroad, you will be wondering, what should I do? But he says here, yeah, we are not in despair. We are not sad. And it goes further. We are persecuted. Nine. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. Praise the Lord. So no matter what anybody says, no matter what they do, God will not abandon us. I think in Jeremiah, he says we are a fortified city, a prison wall. He said they will try, but they cannot penetrate. Why? Because he is with us. Praise the Lord. He says we are struck down, but not destroyed. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Praise the Lord. So nothing can destroy us. Nothing can put us down. Nothing can defeat us. Nothing can make us to be what God has not made us to be. Praise the Lord. 
So we should have an assurance that God will not leave us alone. No matter what we go through, He is there with us, even ahead of us. He is there in that situation. Praise the Lord. So we go to the fifth one. It says, the Holy Spirit whom he has given us, verse 5. The Holy Spirit whom he has given us, then verse 5, post up. Moments God justifies us, we become indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. The moment we are justified, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, it means our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should not treat our body anyhow. We should not do our bodies anyhow. It should be an hallowed place. Praise the Lord. So the minute we are justified, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Bible says John 14 verse 16 through 17, Romans 8 verse 9, and 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. Praise the Lord. This, um, this fact is also the result of justification. When the Holy Spirit dwells in us, the minute you are justified. So you should know that as you are, the Holy Spirit is in you. Praise the Lord. He is indwelling in you. He is residing in you. He has come to take his place. Praise the Lord. And when, let's quickly look at one of the passages that he mentioned. Let's look at John 14, verse 16, through, 16, through 17. John 14, verse 16. Are we there? John 14. Please, if you are there, you can read. John 14. Praise the Lord. So I read. I'm reading from verse 16. It says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. So he has come to take his place. He is residing in us. He is the one that we lean on. He is the one that helps us. He is the one that quickens us. Praise the Lord. He quickens us. So um, the last one, he says, we also rejoice in God. Praise the Lord. We also rejoice in God. We have talked about that before. But Daddy is using that one to um, conclude. We also rejoice in God. We exalt in God. We who were condemned, lost sinners, now by His grace, being justified, rejoice in Him. Praise the Lord. So it means this whole passage is talking about what you stand to get after you have been justified, what you stand to enjoy, what you already have. 
when you have been justified. Praise the Lord. And when you know you have all these things, when you know you can enjoy all these things, we are supposed to rejoice and we are supposed to exalt God. Praise the Lord. We are supposed to enjoy the freedom that God, through Jesus Christ, has made available for us. Praise the Lord. Do we have questions? Do we have questions? Who can tell me the topic we just treated this morning? Yes? Praise the Lord, the result of justification. And I said you can say the outcome of justification, the end result of justification, what you get when you are justified, what you stand to enjoy when you are justified. And it says that he divided it into seven. Praise the Lord. That he divided it into seven. Who can tell me the first one? Who can tell me the first one? Talk now if you know it. Yes? Who wants to try? No. The first one, the first result. Peace. Thank you very much. Peace. So who can tell me the second one? Who can tell me the second one now? Okay. We gained access. We have access. The second one is access. Praise the Lord. Who can tell me the third one? The third one. You were not writing things down. So tell me the third one. It will be. What's the third one? I'm listening. Rejoice. We rejoice in the hope of his glory. Okay. So who can try the fourth one? You are just talking to yourselves. Tell me the fourth one now. That fourth one is the one that I like more. We rejoice in our sufferings. That is the one I even explained more. For every affliction, we are supposed to rejoice. We are not supposed to be complaining. We are not supposed to be brooding. And I use myself as an example. So the sixth one, who can tell me? The sixth one. The Holy Spirit. I said the Holy Spirit dwells in us when we are justified. Praise the Lord. That is why I said we need to understand what justification means before we go into this one. And I know if I ask now again, what is justification? You will also be looking at me. Praise the Lord. 
the Holy Spirit indwells us when we are justified. Praise the Lord. And the last one, we also rejoice in God. Praise the Lord. And we are exalted in God. We are lifted high in God. Praise the Lord. Exalt means when you lift somebody high. We are lifted up in God. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father will bless your name. Thank you, Daddy, for this wonderful opportunity to learn your word this morning. Thank you, Father, because we know, oh Lord God, as we learn your word, we are transformed every day. And we, our minds are renewed in the name of Jesus Christ. We know, Father, Lord Almighty, that as we live, oh Lord God, this space, oh Lord God Almighty, Father, we, rest, we express you in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, my Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs>